0: Amen. Good morning. Thanks, Thomas. We love you. We also think you're weird. All right. A couple ways, a couple things we need to do, I think, before we jump into Exodus 14 today. Like Thomas said, my name's Stephen. Yeah, kids, you're free to go to your class. Um, My name's not Andrew. Yeah, so... If uh, for weeks we have been talking about, uh, and I've been joking, that I wasn't teaching the Red Sea, and I've been joking with disappointment and a little bit of angst of like, man, I'm really disappointed I'm not teaching the Red Sea. Well, the Lord had a plan. We didn't know what the plan was going to be, and poor Andrew suffered the plan, the wrath of God. Um, He was, a lot of you know this, I'm just going to do a quick update without going into any details. Andrew went to the hospital on Thursday, he is okay. Um, but he had some, some infection. He had a migraine over the last few days. And anyways, they, he texted me Thursday. And was like, hey, man, I'm not feeling good. Uh, and I'm immediately thinking, oh, no. I know what this means. This means we're winging it on Sunday. So um, I'm just joking. But he's doing good. He texted me yesterday saying he feels about 70%. So uh, we're going to pray for him uh, in just a minute. But uh, keep him in your thoughts and prayers. He is... Um, He has a one-year-old at his house, and the doctor told him to rest, so um, that's going to be a challenge. But uh, anyways, by way of introduction, my name's Stephen. I'm one of the elders here. If you're new to the branch, I just want to welcome you, uh, echo what Thomas said in in a more grown-up way. Uh, (laughs) We're glad you're here, and uh, this is how we do things at the branch. So you're going to get a good feel for um, the, the way, our, the culture of our church today. Um, Friday morning is when we made the decision to pull the plug on Andrew teaching this morning. And so um, I'm going to ask for your grace a little bit. I've got some notes, some things written down. So I'll probably be looking at my notes a little bit more than usual today. And I trust that you'll... Um, that the Lord will go ahead of me. We, he, this didn't catch him by surprise. I know that for a fact. And so the, ang- the anxiousness that I feel uh, is not felt by him. So praise God for that. But uh, I do want to invite you into something before we jump into Exodus 14. Tonight we're hosting uh, our first branch school of theology of the semester. We're going to kind of do these quarterly. And basically what it is, it's a, it's a night for us to dig real deep. And the topic tonight is bibliology, which is the study of the Bible. Uh, how did we get it? How do we read it? What do we do with it? Translations, uh, transcripts, manuscripts, all that. We're going to dive deep into into that tonight. So uh, we had asked that you registered. If you didn't register, you can still come. Uh, It's bring your own food. That's tonight here at 5 o'clock. I hope you'll come. I'm going to read a couple verses just to kind of cast trajectory, not not just into what we're doing uh, today in Exodus 14, but also for this evening. So listen to this. This is Hebrews 4, verse 12. It says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two edged sword. Piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Second Timothy, this is one that we've read here many times. It says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I'm just so encouraged that the word of God is living and active. It makes having to do this a little bit easier. These aren't my words. We're going to really dive into God's Word today. But I think it's important as we look at the crossing of the Red Sea that this isn't just a historical narrative. That This is redemptive history being acted out in real time. And so what was happening in Exodus is still happening today. That The Word of God is alive and what it produces in its listeners is life and not death. And praise God for that. And so I hope today the one thing that we take away is life, not death. Okay. So um, I might stutter around and mumble my way through this, but uh, that's what I want you to take away. God is about life and not death. And so uh, let's pray as a way to launch in this morning. And if you have your Bible, we'll be in Exodus chapter 14. Father, we thank you for today. Uh, We thank you for this morning. We know that from the beginning of time, you knew that this day was coming. And um, you knew that even in our private meetings as we're planning through Exodus, that today would shape up the way that it did, and so I'm grateful for just the work that you've done in my life since Thursday afternoon, and uh, God, I pray for uh, just clarity. I pray that your word would be clear, and it would echo in each of our souls this morning. So we're thankful. We pray for Andrew, for Amanda, and Pierce this morning, God, that you'd help continue to heal his body, Uh, give Amanda the strength to love him well and to care for Pierce, And um, God, we're grateful that that you've put us in a place where uh, we can serve one another, love one another, encourage and exhort each other. And so now we, we press in to your word above all else. We love you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you're new, we've been going verse by verse through the book of Exodus. So from a sermon planning standpoint, we knew that on this day we would be preaching Exodus 14 for a while. And so um, we didn't just pick the Red Sea out of thin air. We've been planning and looking forward to this day. And so what we're going to do is we're going to take it in chunks, okay? We've done this a few times. We're going to go through all the way through chapter 14. It's one kind of story, and so we're going to take it, though, in three chunks. And so we're going to start reading from Exodus chapter 14, verses 1. But the main idea, I think, here this morning is that we're covered by the power of God. Okay, we're going to see real clearly how powerful God is this morning, even just the psalm that uh, Thomas read this morning, that uh, our God can speak and he can tell the water what to do. Okay? How, how much more can he do in our lives and has he already done in our lives? And so there's two things I want us to take away, that God is faithful when we're not and that he, God destroys his enemies. Okay? That's what we're going to see very clearly, that God's faithful even when we're not and that he destroys his enemies for his glory, by the way, okay? So let's start reading. This is Exodus 14, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of pi Hahiroth, between Migdal and the sea, in front of Baal-Savon. You shall encamp facing it by the sea, for Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel. They are wandering in the land." The wilderness has shut them in, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord, as, and they did so. Verse 5, when the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed towards the people, and they said, what is this we have done? that we have let Israel go from serving us. So he made ready his chariot, took his army with him, and took 600 chosen chariots, and all the other chariots of Egypt, Egypt, with officers over all of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel, while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. Verse nine, the Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots, and his horsemen and his army, and overtook them, encamped by the sea, by Pi-hahiroth, Pi in front of Baal-saphon. So what do we see? We, we know that God's people have just been released, right? they had been leaving for some time. This is where we were last week. They've been guided by a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire, okay? Made a joke last week about the pillar of fire. I apologize again for that one. Uh, if you didn't hear it, you can go back and listen to the podcast. We might have deleted it, all right? Sorry. Uh, anyways, but God has been guiding his people, And what we're going to see shortly is that as he guides his people, he also guards his people, okay? And so the cloud moves from in front of them to behind them. And I think we can find great comfort there. That is one of the gospel promises that we have is that as God guides us, he also guards us. Those who are in Christ Jesus are in him for sure, amen? Okay, so there's no question about this. I think what's interesting here is that God is, through Moses, he is telling the people of Israel, hey, by the way, Pharaoh's going to come back, he's coming to get you, right? So they'd been leaving, we had the plagues, they have been trying to get out of Egypt. They they finally left Egypt, and they've taken all their spoils, right? They had plundered Egypt, is what the scriptures told us. So what does that mean? They had a bunch of really cool stuff, right? Except for the chariots, they didn't take the chariots should have taken the chariots. They didn't, but they had gold, they had silver, they had silk tunics. They had all the fine things of Egypt, and they took it with them. And they were, verse 9, or verse 8 says, the people of Israel were going out defiantly. What does that mean? They were singing songs. They were rejoicing. They'd won. They were victorious. They had done nothing. God had done everything. And they were sitting with all of their fancy, shiny, new, fast toys And they were saying, look at us. This is what we do in our culture. We get our new, shiny, fancy things, the fast things, the ones that plug in and go fast, the ones that need gas and go fast, right? We do these things and we're like, look at our stuff. And yet the enemy attacks us when we're the weakest because we're distracted. The people of Israel were distracted by their new things. And yet God had warned them, hey, Pharaoh's not done with you yet. He is coming. And he's coming in a hurry. And he's coming angry. I just want to paint the context. One of the things that I try to... Uh, we'll do this tonight a lot as we're talking about the study of the Bible. How do we study it? Is We have to use our imagination. Okay, Just like we're... If you remember, back towards the beginning of Exodus, we were looking at a, um, a painting. If you remember, it was the Prodigal Son painting. And, uh, but you can't really understand a painting unless you use your imagination. It's the same thing with any good book. It's the same thing with... The Bible. Now, I'm not saying that we use our imagination to read into God's Word, but we read out of God's Word and we use our imagination to try to place ourselves into the historical context. So let's do that for just a second, okay? So what would be going on here is you have the people of Israel sitting by a campfire, doing whatever you do by a campfire, right? And they're counting all their things, and all of a sudden they see a a different cloud, right? They had been guided by a cloud for some time, but now they see a different cloud. This is a cloud of dust. Okay, it's horses and chariots coming for them. And all of a sudden they remember, oh wait a minute, God told us, Moses told us, that Pharaoh wasn't done with us yet, and and they were coming. So remember from last week, they were dressed as warriors, but they had never been to battle, okay? God took them to the south instead of the north, which was what? The long way around, this was last week, to protect them from war. And yet war's coming, war's coming to the south. And now they're hemmed in. So they have Pharaoh and his angry army. Remember, all of them had just lost their firstborn. Okay, so put yourself in Egypt's shoes. How angry are you? Right? This is bloodlust. They are coming after the ones responsible, or the ones who worship the God, who is responsible for killing their firstborn. Did Pharaoh lose a firstborn? Yes, he did. Okay? Yes, he did. And so did all of the men on the 600 chariots that are coming after the Israelites. This is going to be bad. This is going to be bad. And all of a sudden, Israel, they look ahead, and what do they see? Water. And a lot of it. And they look behind them, and what do they see? It's a cloud of dust. And they're hemmed in. They have nowhere to go. And I just want to step out, continuing to think with our imaginations, but let's do this now in light of Christ has come, okay? So now let's do this in a gospel context, that when we are hemmed in, when we think there is no other way out, now I don't know all of your stories, I know a lot of your stories, and I know my story, but in the seasons of my life where I feel like there was water ahead of me and a cloud of dust with warriors behind me, where there was no way out, that's where God has done his greatest work in my life. And I, I, the ones in the room that I do know, I know that's true of you too. And some of you are in that season right now where you're looking ahead and it's water. And there's nothing that you can do. I said this last week and we'll say it a lot, but there is nothing that you bring to the table of your own salvation except for your need for it. The Israel, Israelites were sitting there helpless. And because they'd been distracted by all their new things, they'd become hopeless. And friends, we are not hopeless. Because the water that's in front of us has been divided forever through Christ. Hello. Yes, it has. Until he comes, the gates, the walls of the water are forever divided. And when he comes back, those walls will come crashing down on those who are outside of Christ. And here's why I share it in that context. Because if there's ever a thing that should motivate the church to be bearers of the gospel, it should be that. That. This is the gospel according to Exodus. God's people called out of bondage, sent to what looks like certain death. And it's through that channel, through these waters that we'll read in just a moment, that God redeems his people. He takes them from what? Being a name to being a great nation. Okay? Let's keep reading. This is verse 10. I think it's important before we do this, is just let's not re- forget why God's doing it the way He's doing it. Okay? He's doing it for His glory. Okay? Keep this in mind. Verse 10 When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them. And they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, and they said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. Verse 13 And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm and see. Fear not, stand firm. And see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. And the Lord will fight for you. And you have only to be silent. The Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so so that they shall go in after them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh. Maybe circle that in your Bible, if if you're willing to write in your Bible, underline that. I will get glory over Pharaoh. It's been coming for a long time, and here he claims it. I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, his chariots and his horsemen, And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord, when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. So as we read with our imagination, let's put ourselves back in the context, right? One of the things that's really interesting here is what what I'm asking us to do is to read out of God's word what is there, not to read into God's word, okay? I'm going to give you two fancy words, okay? The first one is exegesis. You've heard us use that word a lot. We preach exegetically here at the branch, and all that means is that we're going to go line by line, verse by verse, word by word, because we don't want to miss what God has to say, okay? And so that's, we're committed to that. I said Jesus is the opposite of that. Instead of reading out of God's word, we read into God's word what is not there, what's not intended. So what do we do? We take the Bible out of context, we make it say what we want it to say. Now that can be comforting, and it can be manipulating, and people give a lot of money to guys who do that, and maybe we should... I'm just joking. We will never do that, okay? I promise you that. I will quit long before we ever get there. But you've heard me say, if you've been around the branch, you've heard me say this before. The most dangerous person in the world is not the person in some fancy office in Washington, D.C. It's not some person with a vest strapped to their chest. It's not somebody who storms a school with a trench coat and machine guns. The most dangerous person in the world is somebody who knows the Bible and is willing to use it for their good and their glory instead of God's. Please hear that. The stuff that we're scared of, this should scare us more. And these, frankly, if I can be transparent enough, and I don't mean this as a cynic, it's just the truth, these are the guys who have a lot of followers on Instagram and Twitter, okay? We need to be really careful of pastors who read into God's word what is not there in order to make a point. Right? So we're going to read out of God's word what he has for us, not reading into God's word what's not there. So what's important? Context. That's why we go verse by verse. We're going to spend a lot of time in Exodus. Culture. We have to understand what Egypt was like. We have to understand the wilderness. We have to understand the desert. We have to understand the promised land. Right? We have to understand who were the Hebrews? Who were the Israelites? Who had God made them to be and what is he calling them out to? And when they're grumbling and mumbling and complaining like they're doing right now, we need to see that they're no different than we are. Okay? They are us. We are them. So, I don't mean to scare you with that. I just believe that to be true. Okay? The most powerful person in the world is someone who's willing to manipulate God's word for their own gain, their own glory. Verse 13... Says this. Uh, Let me find it. It's in here. There it is. Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. Remember that the promise, the promises of God when trouble comes. This is is one of the things that you can apply to your life. So, what is Moses telling his, his people? Fear not, stand firm. And what? See. See. The Bible in the New Testament, in Hebrews, tells us faith is what? Belief in the things not seen. Okay? So we've used the word theophany for a while, right? For the last few weeks, I've been trying to tease out what this is a tangible expression of God's presence, okay? The pillar of cloud, the pillar of fire, the parting of the Red Sea, the burning bush. These are theophanies. These are God coming down to his people and saying... Hello, follow me, okay? They're seeing, okay? So this, isn't, this is a faith that's having to be worked out, but they can see, it's different than what Hebrews is telling us. Faith is the belief of things unseen. And so for us, what do we do with that? We have to press into the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ. The things that we have not seen, is him coming back. He has come, he has lived, perfect and sinless, by the way, praise God for that. Because if he had not, we'd still be waiting for another. But our hope, our faith, is that one day he's going to come back. And when he does, all the carnage, all the wreckage, all the destruction that's been caused by our sin will be made new. And the garden will be restored once in for all. Listen to verse 14. I think, for me, this has been helpful in the last 36 hours as I've gotten ready for this, okay? The Lord will fight for you. Okay, another one. If you're willing to write in your Bible, go ahead and circle that one three or four times. The Lord will fight for you. And you have only to be what? Silent. Silent. That's hard for me to do, to come up here and preach silently. Um, So I'm going to just do the best that I can, just lean into God's word and leave most of what I have to say out today, if that's okay. But man, what a breath of fresh air. What do you have to do? The Lord will fight for you. Who's doing the fighting? The Lord is doing the fighting. So when we face sin in our lives, what a comfort it is to know that we can't beat it by ourselves. It's already been won, it's already been won. You have only to be silent. I think a lot of us could learn from that. I know I certainly could. Psalm 46, do you know this? Psalm 46 says, Be still and know that I am God. I feel like uh, when you feel him then, the, the spirit, one of the first things, I, this, is just, let me just, this is my life, right? I, this is not necessarily from the Bible, so I'm going to step over here. The first feeling and I'd be really careful talking about feelings, right? I'm not talking about emotion. I'm talking about feeling is comfort, okay? That's the presence of God. When all of a sudden what you see ahead of you and what you see behind you is not very encouraging and the presence of God steps in and you take a, you take a deep breath, and what are you doing? You're being still and you're being silent. And here's the, the good news here is that whatever's in front of you can't win, Whatever addiction, whatever sin, whatever depression, whatever, you name the thing, you fill in the blank with whatever your thing is, it cannot win. It can't. Because the battle has already been won. Israel accuses God of not being faithful, good, and kind, and his response is, do not be afraid, hush. Do not be afraid. Be still and know that I am God. Let's pick back up. Verse 19. Then the angel of God, who was going before the host of Israel, moved. This is now, this is tactics, okay? This is battle tactics. And went behind them, and the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was the cloud and the darkness, and it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land. And the waters were divided, and the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, and the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. The Egyptians pursued and went in after them into the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. And in the morning watch, the Lord in the pillar of fire And of cloud, looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into a panic, clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, Let us flee from before God, before Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. For the first time, I think uh, Egypt began to realize the power of God. Now just think about all the plagues, all of them. This is really kind of the 11th plague, right, if you will. All of the things, all of the things that God had done, displaying his power and his glory and his majesty and his ability to say something, and it happens. And this is the thing. This is the thing. Because all of a sudden, it wasn't their firstborn. It was them who was being threatened by the power and majesty of a perfect God. Let us flee from before Israel, it says, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Verse 26, Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea, But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Verse 30, thus the Lord, what does it say? Saved. The Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians, so the people feared the Lord and they believed. They believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. Their fear had shifted, right? That's what Jesus does in our life. He shifts our fear. There is a good fear. There's a right fear. There's a righteous fear. It leads us to worship. Scripture said we are to fear the Lord, right? Fear can be captivating, can't it? Have you ever been really scared? Right? It takes over your whole body, not just emotionally, but also physically. Your body responds to fear. Goosebumps, right? God shifted their fear from the Egyptians, who were a defeated army. Long before they ever left Egypt, they had lost. And he shifts their fear, rightly, to himself. This is what God is doing. I was reminded um, <laughs> yesterday, as I was working on this, um, If you grew up in the 90s, like I did, and maybe some of you did or you were around in the 90s, some of you weren't even born yet in the 90s. It's ridiculous, but praise God for that. There was a bumper sticker you might have seen. It said, no God, no, do you know it? No God, no peace, right? It's N-O, no God, no peace. So without God, there is no peace, but then underneath it, it was no K-N-O-W, no God, then you would know peace right? You would understand peace. Where there is God's presence, you will understand peace. And I just, for me, like as you're wrestling through, as I'm wrestling through, okay, God, what do you have? And the Lord says to, in first, uh, first Peter, he says, uh, always be prepared to give a defense. So that's what I'm about to do, okay? This is just, this is seasons of being prepared to do this and then having no time to actually get ready to articulate it. So here's the best I got, okay? To know God, to K-N-O-W, God, is to know peace, right? Do you believe that? It's the only real peace, the only true peace, is the presence of God. Where the presence of God is not, there is no peace. The Hebrew word for that is shalom, okay? One of my favorite authors is a guy named Walter Brueggemann. You've heard me use this definition before. Sorry to reuse it, didn't ran out of time, okay? Walter says this, he says that the peace of God, the shalom of God, is the dream of God for the world, I don't think dream, sitting under a tree, taking a nap dream, but like his intentional, original plan, okay? To know God is to find peace. And we spend our whole lives looking for that. We try to find it in a spouse. We try to find it in a job. We try to find it in a major or a whatever, we're, that's what we're looking for. Our hearts long for peace. Even those who are outside of the faith, their heart longs for peace because that's what we were made for. We were made in the image of God for His glory. So, to know God is to know peace. So, what does that do? To understand the shalom of God is this Our enemies are not our neighbors with different banners and flags on the front of their house, our enemies are not flesh and blood. It is a spiritual war that has already been won. We can press into the mission of God in the world because our only true enemy has already been defeated. Do you understand how that would change your trajectory of your life? So how do we apply Exodus? Satan no longer has a say in your life. Amen. Okay? You're free to be still and to be quiet. Moses is a mediator in Exodus. All he is is a, he's pointing forward to Christ who's the true mediator, right? God uses Moses. God could have just spoken and the words would have parted, the water would have parted. You understand that? But he chose not to do that. He chose to use Moses and he walks down to the water. Can you even imagine God tells you, hey, I want you to walk down to the seashore, and here's what I want you to do. I want you to wave your stick. And when you wave that stick, I'm going to create a path. And I don't know if you've ever been to a lake or to a river, but when a river drives up, it takes a long time for it to get dry. Okay? So what happened, I remember as a kid, we had a, a little creek that ran behind our house, and uh, we, that was where we would pick on people or get picked on, right? But we would always go down there, and it's quicksand, right? Which, whatever, it's just mud. Right? But you'd run down there and you would lose a shoe. And that was the most scary thing in the world because then you had to go back and not only did you have to say, my one shoe's really dirty and I ruined it, but I lost the other shoe. Right? It's down there in the muck, in the mire. But it takes a long time for these creeks, these rivers to get dry. This is a sea. It is an enormous body of water. Now I understand that for a lot of people in our world today that the parting of the Red Sea is a stumbling block. Okay? I get that. All right, so what is our defense? It's right here. This is the word of God. The word of God says the Red Sea parted. So what do I believe? I believe that the Red Sea parted. I actually believe that because that's what God's word said. And if his word is true, then what's in here is true. Now I don't care where it parted. Can I say that? I don't care if it's on the northernest tip or the southernest tip or right there in the stinking middle. All I know is that it parted and God's people got through and God's enemies did not. That is the point. Do you follow? Okay? So, listen, to this is the Gospel of John. Uh, chapter 5, verse 24, it says, Truly I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has what? It's there. Past. He's passed from death to life. There's death on one side of the ocean and there's life on the other. And Christ has come to make a way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Christ is the new Moses. He's come to part the waters between death and life, heaven and hell, between God's presence and his absence. And he's done it for good, and he's done it finally. The sea through which the church has passed has remained parted since his coming, and it won't go back until he comes back. So two things. It should lead us to worship, and it should lead us to share because one day those walls will come back down and God's enemies will be stuck. So how do we apply Exodus to our everyday life? I think it's better to say it this way. It's not so much how do we apply Exodus to our life, but that Exodus is applied to us. Does that make sense? I think a lot of times we get, and we're gonna do this a lot tonight, so I really do hope you'll come. I get excited about teaching theology in a really deep and robust way. When we come to God's word, we always want to get a nugget, don't we? Just a little truth, just a little application point. Well, how can I become better? How can I do this thing? What's the point of studying Exodus? Oh, so that we become whatever. But the truth of Exodus was the truth for the Hebrews. They did nothing and God gave them everything. Now, here's what I'm not saying. This doesn't mean it's okay to be a nominal Christian, to sit back in your little lazy boy and just wait for the kingdom of God to come. That's not how he chose to do things. He chose to use you where you are, when you are, right now. That's how God works. So how do we apply Exodus to our lives? We have to understand that Exodus is us. We have been saved. We have been redeemed. God is calling people out from one type of existence to another. This process is one of salvation, praise God for that. Salvation simply meaning this, I once was dead and now I'm not. That's the gospel. You know what the word gospel means? It's good news, it's good news. It's meant to be shared, it's meant to be talked about. So what do we do here when we gather together on Sundays? We're breathing in that good news so that when we leave through those doors or those doors or I've never seen anybody leave from those doors but you could set a new trend if you want it's just a long way to the parking lot that you breathe out into the world the life, death, burial of Jesus Christ and hey, one day he's coming back and that thing in your life will be healed forever. Forever. The war is over. So what is... Moses saying to his people, God will fight your battle. He will. And here's what's great about God fighting your battle. He doesn't lose. Not once. Because if he were to ever lose, he's not God. He's incapable of losing. I want to read from 1 Corinthians 10 as we close our time together. This is uh, verses 1 through 6. Now these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. So we lean into Exodus. Every time we come together, we lean into God's word to better understand what he's doing in, through, around us so that we can be participants. We're not here as bystanders. We don't come in and just absorb things and uh, like it's a concert. We don't perform here what we're doing is we're pointing you towards a new day where all things are made new. These things took place as an example for us because God knew that one day you would be hemmed in. There'd be water in front and an enemy behind and you'd feel helpless. And eventually the world would throw as enough stuff at you that you would eventually become hopeless. Jesus said in the Beatitudes, come to me those who are what? Weary. It's that gray area, that in-between, that's where weary grows. And Jesus came and he said, no, it's right down this way. And he parted the waters and we walked through that we might not desire evil as they did. Would you be encouraged by that today? I hope you would. We close every service, even the ones that are thrown together. I go into the table because we need to remember. We need to remember the good news. We need to declare the good news that Christ came to bring us back into right standing. His body was broken and his blood was spilled so that we might know him. And we trust and we hope every time we come back to the table that he would come back and he would come back quickly. So as I pray, we enter into a time of communion. Our uh, elders and staff and some of our leaders will be over to the side. If you want to pray, if you want to talk through um, who we are as a church or what's going on in your life, we'd be happy to do that. We want to do that, and I mean that. So know that we love you. We care a lot about you. And we're thankful that God has called us into a season of ministry where we can walk diligently, slowly through his word because his word is for our good. Lord, we love you. We thank you for... This morning, uh, God, I'm uh, just grateful in the way that you orchestrate things, and um, Father, I pray that we would be reminded that uh, you are good, that you are great, that you are powerful, that you can speak to the water and it'll do whatever you say, and that as you speak into our life, God, I pray that you would help help us to obey. Thank you that Christ has come as the better Moses who never faces defeat, who never faces doubt, who works all things together for your glory and our good. So I pray for these brothers and sisters as we enter a time of remembrance that you would help the gospel to seep down into those little nooks and crannies of our souls. So when we go out into the world, we will be reminded that you are good. We love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.